Welcome to Movie Maker Interviews, the podcast where every week we talk to our greatest movie makers about the art and craft of making movies. My name is Tim Malloy. This week our guest is Christina Hodson, who wrote what is about to be the biggest movie in the entire world, Birds of Prey. I'm making this bold prediction on Thursday, even though the movie hasn't come out yet. It will be out in a few hours. And yeah, it's going to be really big. It's going to be really successful. She's a great writer. She takes risks. Her films are exciting to watch. And that will also prove true with Birds of Prey. Uh, This is the second time I've gotten to interview her. The first time we talked was about two months ago when she was in a cab in New York and was generous enough with her time to talk to me for a cover story that we did in the latest issue of Movie Maker magazine about Lucky Chop Entertainment. Lucky Chop Entertainment is a company created by Margot Robbie, Sophia Kerr, Tom Ackerley, and Josie McNamara, uh, which is one of the companies behind Birds of Prey. Their mission is female-focused films. Christina Hodson talked to me in that interview about a program that Lucky Chap and her set up called Lucky Exports, uh, which is a program to bring women into writing action films. And not strictly action films, but films that kind of spin off from the action genre or start off being action and turn into something else. Or, you know, she's going to explain it a lot better uh, in this here podcast that you're about to listen to. So I'll just get to that. Uh, if you like this episode, please give us five stars on iTunes. If you don't like this episode, you are forbidden from listening to this or any other thing that we ever create. And that sucks because we're actually doing two episodes this week. Uh, Tomorrow, check out our interview with Allison Brie and Jeff Baina, who are the creative forces behind Netflix's new film, Horse Girl. It is great. So is Birds of Prey. Here's Christina Hodson. Hope you enjoy this interview. Well, I don't know if you remember, we talked when you were in I do, yeah. Okay, yeah. I was in the back of a car feeling very car sick. <laughs> I'm slightly better now. Perfect, perfect. Less nausea this time, hopefully. Perfect, great. <laughs> <laughs> I won't puke while talking to you. <laughs> uh, congratulations on Birds of Prey. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's a really cool movie. I really like what you did with time in it, the way that you didn't just do a straightforward narrative and you jumped around, like, why did you, it feels like you kind of did more than you needed to do. Like you really went the extra mile. (laughs) Um, Honestly, that was something that Margo and I wanted to do from the get go is just tell a story, an unusual kind of bold, risky, edgy, different kind of story in a different kind of way. Um, So that was kind of always by design. It was a bit weird, especially because we're telling the story through Harley's lens. Yeah. Uh, and nothing through the Harley Quinn lens is normal. <laughs> um, she is a psychologist, and I mean, she kind of, you don't see her really like practicing psychology on anybody, but she does kind of bring people together. Can you talk about like the yeah. sort of subtle ways you alluded to her past? Yeah, I mean, for me, the thing that's fascinating about Harley Quinn is that, yes, she's a villain, and yes, she's kind of crazy and wild and ditzy and wild and wonderful. Um, but she's also fiercely intelligent. She does have a PhD. She is Dr. Harleen Quinzel. That's still in there somewhere. Um, so I like having those little moments where she kind of psychoanalyzes Roman and Huntress and um, kind of getting to pull that out, especially because Margot, I think, does that brilliant thing of flipping so quickly between the two, the, you know, the two sides of Harley. Um, it was super fun to play with that. Yeah, when I saw the Christopher Nolan um, Dark Knight Joker take for about the fifth time, I finally realized, like, oh, my God, Joker's not insane at all. He's smarter than everybody else. 
and he's just yeah. acting crazy. Is she kind of acting crazy? I think it's a whole a whole bunch of things going on. Um, and she's, she's not straightforward enough that there is a simple answer to that. But to an extent, yes, I think she plays it up when it suits her and she doesn't, doesn't when it suits her. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's all about with her, like, filters and lack of filters and manipulating the moment to kind of her best advantage. Um, for screen- she is a human without inhibition. <laughs> for screenwriters who are listening to this, can you sort of talk about like what's in your head right now? I mean, you spent probably a lot of hours and hours and hours by yourself, you know, sequestered writing and not knowing whether it worked. I mean, I assume writing and not knowing whether it was good or not or whether you liked it or not. And now you're at the point where like it's done and everybody's happy. Do <laughs> it's you give it's yourself- exciting. It's, it's terrifying and exciting. And I hope people do like it. You know, with this one, it's been such a collaborative effort. I've been working with Margot on this one for four and a half years at this point. Um, so yes, certainly there were days of uh, days and nights of sitting alone with my keyboard. Um, but she is such an incredible creative partner and collaborator. I always had her there. She always had my back. I would send her things at various different stages, and she would always be so supportive. Um, I'm not blindly supportive. You know, if there were things that she wanted to change, she would always tell me. But she's just. She's an incredible note giver um, and, and honestly has just been an amazing partner throughout all of this. So I've watched it come to life through so many different kind of stages and iterations. I was fortunate enough to be a co-producer on the movie, so I was on set all day, every day, um, watching it get shot and come to life. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a long, long road, and it's, it's really gratifying to see that people are responding to it. It's funny because... You seem really collaborative, and she seems really collaborative, like to the point yeah. when, she, when she made this movie, you know, she could have done a solo Harley Quinn movie and wanted to bring other people along. Do you, do you mm-hmm. both just, like, feel better collaborating with other people? What's it, where does it come from, do you think? That, that is totally who she is. She is wonderful like that. Like, you're totally right. She, at that moment, she was crushing it as Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. She totally could have kept the limelight to herself, but it's not who she is. Um... And part of what she wanted with this story from the get-go was, you know, to see Harley with other women, to see that girl gang kind of on screen in the way that she has a group of girlfriends, I have a group of girlfriends. Like, we wanted to see those relationships play out. I think there is such a kind of myth generally that women are always kind of in competition with one another, that we can't play nicely together. And it's so far from the reality. Um, I, as a writer, naturally want to be with and around other writers, you know, especially female writers. I I have such wonderful um, female writer friends. Um, And so, yeah, getting to put that on screen was super fun. That's that's the goal. It's the dream. You know, that kind of gets into the Lucky Export program that you and Lucky Chap, Margot's company. I'm acting like we're on a first-name basis. I don't mean to imply that. I'm just... I'm just saying that for the sake of speed, and now with this digression, I've wasted even more time. You, <laughs> but, yeah, so you started the Lucky Export program. Can you talk about what that is and how it works and also how people can apply yeah. to it? So the Lucky Export Pitch Program is something that we came up with. I, I got involved with Time's Up a couple of years ago when it was starting, and I started looking into statistics. Yeah. Um, and the statistics for working feature writers was pretty terrible. Um, there are, the women were kind of outnumbered by men three to one in the last WJ report. 
there are very few writers of color working in the feature space. We really wanted to kind of find a way to amplify new voices. There are so many women wanting to work in the action tentpole feature space. Um, and we really just wanted to fill the pipeline with those new voices. So I approached Lucky Chap and Margot. They immediately were game to team up. Um, I hired a really wonderful executive named Morgan Howell, who's really put this thing on her back and worked so hard to put this together. Um, and yeah, we did that together. The program ran last November for four weeks. I ran a writer's room with six incredibly talented female writers, all of whom came in with often just kind of one word or an idea or a character, but really kind of just the nascent stages of an idea of a movie. And we took it all the way through. We, we broke down each of the movies. We outlined them, you know, took them down into three acts. The writers were so wonderful at supporting each other and developing those ideas. Um, we had amazing guest speakers come in from all different areas of the industry um, who were so generous with their time. And by the end of the four-week program, we had developed four incredibly strong pitches uh, sorry, six incredibly strong pitches from all of these writers um, that we're going to be taking out to the town uh, in a couple of weeks, hopefully, and we'll be selling them to the studios. Oh, so the goal God. really is to get these women working in that studio space and you know, have their names be the top names on the list for the next big superhero movie or whatever the action movie might be. So is this a continuous thing? Can people apply for the next round? I hope in success. I think we would love to do it again. Margot and I and the Lucky Chat folks, we're super, super proud of how it went. Um, super proud of those women. So, yes, in success, I think we would love to do it again. Um, I don't know if we'll do it every year or maybe we'll do it biannually, um, but we'll see. This was our first kind of inaugural year. It was self-funded, so we were small and scrappy. Um, but, yeah, fingers crossed it works out and we get to do it again. Yeah. You know, it seems like you have kind of a gift for taking taking things that may have been – I don't want to say stale, but things that had been established a certain way and just really breathing new life into them. I think of Bumblebee, which is a movie that I saw with my brother-in-law last year. Or was it two years ago? Last year? No, last year. Yeah, and we loved it. Like, we were so, like, <laughs> giddily happy, like, all through this movie, and we were kind of burned out on Transformers movies. Um, is that something that you really like? I mean, do you really like, like, taking a hard new angle on something? It was not something I set out to do. And first off, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Um, mostly it's just about doing things that I love. Like I, um, I fell in love with this idea of a story of a girl and her car for Bumblebee. It was a weird outside of the box idea that I honestly never thought would get made. Um, I think probably <laughs> some of the other people in that writer's room never thought would get made. Um, but I think in some ways being the underdog with that and also kind of a little bit with, with Birds of Prey, like we were telling a strange, unexpected story, um, meant that I just got to do the thing that I loved and I didn't feel super limited by it and then was very fortunate in both cases that people read the script and really responded to it. Were you a comic book nerd? I mean, where did your, where did your love of Harley Quinn come from? Um, I would say medium nerd. Like, I've always loved DC. I shouldn't say DC more than Marvel, but it is true. I've just always naturally been more of a Gotham City girl. Um, so, yeah, I was always kind of a light fan of the comics. And then since working with Margot about four and a half years ago, actually, it was a little longer ago than that. I started kind of talking to the DC folks about five and a half years ago. Um, and that's what started my reading. And then, so I started reading for work and then I just started reading for fun and I totally fell in love with the universe. Was it Gotham City and like Renee Montoya and stuff like that? Or where did you start? Well, I mean, I think I was 
I was talking to the DC folks back in the days of early Wonder Woman. So Wonder Woman mm. was one of my first ones. Um, but then I just went on a deep dive with Batman because I think there's so many beautiful Batman um, comics. Yeah. Um, Hush is one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I've done deep dives in lots of different pockets at this point. I'm fortunate enough to be working in it on a few different um, DC things, as you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, be, I've been all over at this point. <laughs> I, I talked to Kathy Yan about whether the director of the movie about whether someone sort of pulled her aside and said, all right, here's how this movie fits into the grand DC plan. And she said, not really, um, that you guys really did have free reign to do it as you wanted to do it. Was it the same for you? Yeah. Um, uh, yes and no. I mean, obviously, back when Margot and I started, there were there were many conversations about kind of how it would fit and and where it would live. But I would say since we had the script, and, you know, obviously Cassie came on about two years ago, um, DC has been incredibly supportive. Walter Hamada over there is so great at supporting the creatives he works with. He really kind of entrusts us with these characters. Um, he loves them as a fan, just like we do. Um, and I think that's been kind of one of the joys for me of working with DC is that, you know, once you earn their trust, they, they really kind of empower you and, and trust you with that. So yeah. I think that's been kind of a wonderful thing that they, they did let us kind of run with it. You know, it always felt to me, and I think this is cool, I, I like that there's two options, but it feels to me like the MC, MCU is very, very tight and very, every film interconnects in some way. And the DC movies are kind of like all over the place where you've got Joker, you've got Birds of Prey. I don't know. I mean, the Nolan Batmans don't tie in. I mm -hmm. don't know how the Batman will tie in when that comes out. Um, it, is there any kind of, like... Are there internal rules that you were made aware of? Because I could definitely see Birds of Prey crossing over with, like, Wonder Woman or something. <laughs> crossing a bunch of rules? We're not a movie that likes rules. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, listen, I'm with you. I like both models. As a fan and as a moviegoer, I love going to see the Marvel movies. I love that they all tie in and they kind of feel like one continuum. Um, but I also love that, like, to me, Joker is such a joy because it's completely different and unexpected. Yeah. Um, my mother, who would never normally watch a, a superhero movie or a comic book movie, I think Joker was her favorite movie of the year last year. Oh, my God. Um, and I think that's such an incredible thing to be able to bring in people that never would have thought they were, you know, comic book movie people into that world, I just think is incredible. Um, and, yeah, in terms of being able to write within that universe, it's incredibly freeing to be able to you know, do different things. Has there been any talk of a Wonder Woman, Harley Quinn crossover? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> oh, come on. That would be so good. <laughs> I, I'm tired. It's the end of the day. You're hoping I'll just slip and say something. <laughs> I, I think every time somebody says no comment, people assume it means yes. So, okay. <laughs> I, I will just... No comment. Yeah, it's one of those things where like, I'm, I'm saying it's true because I want it to be true. We <laughs> um, <laughs> just say it enough times. Right, exactly. Um, so what do you think is next for Harley Quinn and what do you think is next for Birds of Prey? I mean, it seems like you set it up so that you could do another movie with all of them together. You could do another, you could do a Birds of Prey spinoff without Harley Quinn. What's yeah, I mean, I think the, the, it's all wide open. Obviously, next for Harley Quinn is that she's going to be in James Gunn's Suicide Squad, which is super exciting. The Suicide Squad, um, hmm. which is, you know, currently shooting. Um, but yeah, I think, I think things are really open for us. The goal first and foremost was just tell one story and just like make this a standalone movie that stood on its own two feet, um, and hope that people like it. So first we've got to send people to movie theaters to buy tickets and then we'll talk about what happens next. Um, but you got to help us with that. Pre-sales are pretty good. 
Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. I'm touching all the wood. This is a really big year, obviously, for women in superhero movies. And it's a big, it's a year where, for the first time, there's pretty much going to be equity in the number of female and male directors. And, you know, we talked about statistics earlier. The number of female directors last year for the top 100 films was like 12%, according to Women in Film. Yeah. Um, It's going to be like 50-50 for superhero movies this year. And I was just wondering... But just for superhero movies, that's the thing. It's like, right. yes, we've got equity amongst those, you know, few movies, but there's a lot of other movies that we need equity on. Why do you think it's happening with superhero movies as opposed to all movies? Hmm, good question. Maybe because they were the movies that were already kind of on a path to getting made and you could act quickly and see that change quickly because these things take time. Movies take a long time to develop and get made. Um, so I don't know, maybe just that they were already on the track and, and people could react fast and we're starting to see the, the shift. Yeah. Kathy said that there's also sort of a public, um, a public accountability issue where people may not notice who's, who's directing every movie, but they definitely notice who's directing yeah. a superhero movie because it's a big movie. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's very, very true. Yeah. Uh, do you think this is like a fluke year or do you think things will be this way from now on as they should be? Please let it not be a fluke year. Let's, let's have this be the start of some really good change until all of this is a non-conversation because it is so um, equitable and even. Yeah, I'm actually sorry to ask about it. I feel like it's kind of like... No, no, not at all. I think it's important that we talk about it right now. I think it's just exciting, you know, to think of the day when it's not. But until until then, it's, I think, really important that people like you do talk about it and that people like Margot, um, you know, do what they're doing to, to make that change happen. Um, can we talk about watching this movie? I try to keep track of all the Easter eggs and yeah. I love Easter eggs cause I feel like they tip off viewers that, you know, we know what we're doing. We know our material. Um, yeah. can you talk about some of the like inside jokes or things that you slipped in that people may not notice until the second or third listen or view? Oh, that's a good question. But honestly, for me that they've all been in there for so long that it's hard to remember. <laughs> it's hard to remember what is and isn't there. I mean, listen, I think. With DC, you remember when we slipped out that picture of her from set and there was like a tiny little tag on the bottom of the confetti that said where to go find that link. It took a number of like minutes for some fan in Brazil (laughs) to find that and immediately go put that online. Every Easter egg in this movie is going to be found at some point um, by the fans. So I'm sure they will do a much better job than me. But, But yes, it was super fun being able to slip those in. Um, as a fan myself, like I look for those things and I want those things. So being able to kind of put them in on the page was awesome. And then, you know, as production design went on and costume and everything, getting to bring more of those moments to life is always good. One thing that really stood out for me with this movie is how good the action sequences are and how good the stunt sequences are and how actually kind of unusually violent they are. This, I didn't realize this was an R rating until about partway through. And then I was like, Oh, okay. How do you write those? I mean, do you just say, you know, they have a big fight, stunt coordinators figure it out, or do you... No, that would be very lazy. <laughs> no, I love writing action, and I love writing specificity in action. To me, you can tell so much about a character by the way they fight and how they handle themselves within action. Um, so a lot of stuff was just kind of on the page from day one because it's just the way I like to write. Um, and then we were blessed with working with 8711, who are so talented, um, so there were some really fun days on set where I got to like brainstorm stuff directly with them where I would say like, I want to do this thing and disarm this person with that. And we got to kind of play around and try things out. Um, so yeah, incredibly, incredibly fun working with them on that. Do you have to like act out the fights or how do you do it? 
Um, I would never admit to that, but yeah, I'm alone, like a weirdo, watch a lot of Google, uh, YouTube videos of martial arts and stuff. Um, I just, I like that, you know, getting into the specificity of even the styles of kicks and things, just because again, like I think it informs the character and Canary fights in a very different way to Harley, um, or to Renee or to Huntress and, and being able to kind of define the characters in the way they move and the way they handle themselves, the way they use weapons, um, it's all just like an extra layer in the storytelling and in kind of creating those characters. Uh, that, so do you actually watch YouTube videos and like decide like this is this person's fight style? I do, but I'm a complete nerd and a loser with too much time on my hands, apparently. I know lots of people would not do that, but I like to. No, I think that's totally awesome because I always, it, it's kind of like when I have to do too much math, I start to get sleepy. And I think if I had to like... This is Krag, Ma, Krav Maga. I think I would just get exhausted. Um, and I, I love that you do that. Can you talk about what, like, one influence that you that you pulled? Huh. For so this movie, because obviously now it's quite a while ago. Uh, sorry, all of the things I'm thinking of are things I'm not allowed to talk about. Oh. They're for things that are upcoming. <laughs> Oh, 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 okay. Um, I don't, I'm not trying to... No, you know what? For this one, I would say there was that scene in, and again, this is a spoiler, but the scene in the evidence room yeah. where um, Harley disarms Renee. Yeah. That was an incredibly fun sequence that I got to play around with with the 8711 guys on set. Literally, my keyboard is resting on, I think at the time we had the pier from the end of the movie that was built. So I'm leaning on that. <laughs> they come along. I start asking them a question and they just start acting it out and doing these different reverse kicks and sideways, like all of these different kind of flippy kicks. Um, <laughs> but at the time I was like, I have no idea what you're doing, but tell me what that's called and tell me what that is. And it's that, I mean, that was such a dream as a writer to be able to have people to play with as you're writing it, bringing it to life was incredible. Kathy Young said there's a, a Clockwork Orange influence kind of running through some things here, and I didn't see it when I was watching it, but in retrospect, I definitely, definitely do. Was that your influence too? So early on, Margot and I, our references for this movie were super weird. We just did a lot of watching of movies that we liked, um, and one that came up early, just because of the essence of it is so cool, was Clockwork Orange. Um, we kind of just liked the anarchy and the danger and the that gang and it obviously they are a very very dark gang yeah. but I kind of just liked how radical it was so yeah that was something we put on the page early was that we wanted the underworld of Gotham to have that slightly weird surreal feel um so yes yeah, there were some references to the the milk bar in the script what are some other movies that you watched um two of our favorites and by chance they're movies that I think are in both of our top five Train Spotting and True Romance both of which I know sound crazy um, in relation to this movie and, and you know no one dares to aspire towards Tarantino because it's too lofty a goal um, but both of those I think were influential just because again like we knew we wanted to tell an unusual ensemble non-linear story yeah. and both of those movies have this non-linear ensemble kind of very bold anarchic feeling approach to storytelling and yet both of those movies have a very classic three-act structure. They both, if you go back and you read those scripts, and I recommend anyone who's interested in screenwriting does, because they are fantastic screenplays. Um, and True Romance in particular is very different to the final movie. Um, those screenplays really satisfyingly hit the beats that you expect them to hit on exactly page 30, page 60, page 90. Mm. Um, it, it's really a remarkable feat. 
you know, it's weird. I thought Pulp Fiction just because of the time jumps, but of course, like True Romance makes even more sense. Yeah, there's the, we call it the cocktail shaker of bringing all of these crazy ingredients together and then colliding them at the end. And then you get one of the stars of Trainspotting, which is perfect. I know! <laughs> it was incredible, and I love him so much. Um, I was saying earlier today that one of the trippiest moments was because, you know, Clockwork Orange had been a very, like, I'm talking way, way back when influence, um, and also train spotting way, way, way back when, on my very first day, very first day of shooting, it's like six in the morning, we've come up through, I walk through the studio, it's still dark and there's fog everywhere, and I walk onto the soundstage, and it's the Black Mask Club, which has a very heavy Clockwork Orange influence, and Ewan McGregor is standing in the middle of a set, and I'm just like... <laughs> This is such a dream for any writer, like to have had those two things to suddenly come together. It just felt like kismet. Man, that is, yeah, it, it really works. It's, it's a cool movie because like when you watch it, I mean, it's a cool movie for a lot of reasons, but when you watch it for like the fourth time, you're going to pick up on new stuff. I hope so. I really hope people see it four times in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there, I know it's early and the movie hasn't even come out yet, but is there anything about it that you, that you're sick of talking about or anything about it that you wish people would ask about? Oh, good question. What am I sick of talking about? Um, <laughs> no, I think as we just said, like it, and I'm not sick of talking about it at all about, you know, female representation on and off camera. Um, but I am excited for the day when that isn't a conversation because it is so normal. Um, when I'm not just a female writer, but I'm a writer. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's as it, a, it is funny. Like as soon, as soon as you are a woman writing in this industry, you become a female writer. Um, you never call them a male writer. Oh, should we make a list of male writers? <laughs> <laughs> the ten best male writers. Yeah. yeah. No, as a as one of the ten worst male interviewers, I'm always like. <laughs> I always want to bring it up and then I don't want to bring it up. And like sometimes it, it's weird because sometimes you will deliberately not bring up you're the first person to do this or something like that. And it inevitably comes up anyway. It's, just... <laughs> it's true. But I also think I really mean it. Like it is important that people like you ask about it because it is an issue that we need more awareness of. We need studios to feel that pressure to hire women. Um, it's just going to be an exciting day when it isn't an issue. Yeah. Well, this will make a lot of money and that will send a message to them. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> all right, that's all I got. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank I love the movie. you so much. It was really nice to talk to you again. You too. And, I'm so uh, pleased I didn't howl. You didn't howl. Oh, right, of course. Howl. Brings it Sorry, all. it's my accent. Throw up. Nope, you're being a writer bringing it all together. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, all right, lovely to speak to you again. You too. Bye. Take care.